Boat Talk is made possible in part by Atlantic Challenge, home of the Apprentice Shop and the Community Sailing Program, offering youth and adult boat building classes year-round, plus internships, apprenticeships, and marine mentoring for middle school students. Atlantic Challenge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to craftsmanship, community, and the traditions of the sea. 594-1800 or AtlanticChallenge.com. And by the Redfern Boat Company of Hancock County. Since 1982, offering maintenance, storage, and restoration for powerboats and sailboats. Also offering dockage on Mount Desert Island. RedfernBoat.com. The time is 10.01 and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 102.9 Bangor and streaming online at WERU.org. Boat Talk with your hosts Alan Sprague and Mike Joyce is up next. Where is Lyle Lovett? It's 10 o'clock on Tuesday morning, time for Boat Talk, your uh, radio uh, call-in show for people contemplating things naval. It can go from uh, taking bows to making stern measures. This is uh, Alan Sprague along with rusty anchor Mike Joyce here for one hour of call-in conversation. As as the Barefoot Blues guy says, today's an excellent day for phone calls, one 866 Six two five nine three seven eight. If you uh, anything you'd like to talk to us about boats or any sort of related item, that's the way to go. Boat talk, as Alan says, contemplating all things naval. Uh, and again, the theme music was absent this morning. The while love it that we've been using for years. Um, just to update you on that. We do not have any problem using Lyle love it on the air on the radio here. That's not a problem whatsoever. The problem comes in when. Uh, we put this up on the web, and it's available for downloads. And uh, what happens is that when you download something, that, uh, when you download uh, something, you have just stolen a copy of, of uh, Lyle's performance, and there is an issue there. We're changing microphones in here. If you hear me hesitating a little bit, there's a little... Uh, you just pull, pull that thing out. Yep. Stop talking, Alan. Say something. <laughs> The number again, one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight is the way you get into the studio. We already have one phone call. Hopefully one somebody's calling up and and we'll put you on the air as soon as we can. Is this thing on? Hey, there yeah. we go. All right. We sound better now, don't yeah, we? Yeah, we got copyright issues on the Lyle Lovett thing and it's all about uh the shows being posted on the web where they are available at uh, org, and now Boat Talk has its own website, uh, boattalk.org. And those things are available there, but if uh, you were to download one of these shows, then you have stolen Lyle's performance, uh, 30 Seconds of If I Had a Boat, and that opens not people up the, to not a... Not even the whole song, just a little no, part No, and of it. that uh, is the copyright issue on the web is in an evolutionary stage at the present time. And uh, do we want to uh, be used as a test case or, or reinvent uh, performance rights ourselves? No, and we yeah. need to find out what other people are doing, and we're working on that. So hopefully we'll have Lyle or some performance thereof, even if, as threatened, Alan and I have to sing it. Yep. It could be done. We're saving up for a kazoo right now. So anyway, Boat Talk, uh, 1-800. No, 1-866. Thank you, 1-866-625-9378. We know this perfectly well. And uh, you are urged to give us a call this morning. Alan and I had a meeting last night, and uh, what do you got? Well, we got nothing. Hopeful people will call and ask an interesting question. We'll figure out something to talk about. It's not like we have nothing to talk about. Yeah, we do have a few little of course, items. 
Of course we do, but from our point of view, we have no guests. We have no. Uh, we don't have a big rock in the bank that we can uh, drag out if we uh, get into a hole here. You right. know. So anyway, but there are a lot of things have been going on in the in the marine world, and we keep track of that over the month. And uh, we always interrupt anything we're talking about to uh, talk to you as you come along. Want to do some keel kicking? Bother us while we're allegedly working. We'll put it down and talk to you at any time. And once again, the phone number. One eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight, and we have a boat talk calendar to give away today too. If you uh, have, were probably listening last week, realized we had a fundraiser and we've fallen short. So we're going, the boat talk guys are going to do what we can to raise a little money too. If you'd like to make a contribution, we're going to put all the people who do uh, call in today into a drawing for the boat talk calendar, which is. Um, Definitely a lo-fi calendar. It's not one of those slick, glossy things. But on the other hand, it's got some pretty interesting photographs, and there's a, a story behind every one, as I say. You're my favorite part about the calendar. Alan did all the work. <laughs> <laughs> and you may have heard, actually, I gave Mike a copy and uh, the uh, snowboat that Mike, uh, well, I guess you can say you still own it, is the cover girl on, on the January Page. You gave me a defective copy, though. I got a copy yep. of our own calendar without my boat in it, and I tried to say polite things to you about the job you'd done, but, you know. Uh, so anyway, we'll give a copy of that away, and, and uh, captions will soon be up on the website as well. So yeah. that's the idea. Is the phone ringing here? Do I get yep, an idea we, of the phone's ringing? We do have a caller. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. Love your show. Thank you. Who are we speaking uh, to this morning? Uh, the name is Kurt. What's up, Kurt? What are you thinking? Um, I'm thinking I lost a mooring uh, a couple years ago. I think I know who has it. Uh, I have no proof whatsoever. You mean somebody and, actually picked up the rock and moved it somewhere else? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Well, it was one of these, uh, you know, chain and steel things. Oh, yeah. Um, I have no proof whatsoever. The man nearly admitted to me that he has it. I don't know what the heck to do. Do you have any idea? Did uh, now let's get straight. The mooring was moved. You say? Uh, I paid this guy about a thousand bucks to build it and put it in a certain location. Yeah, about five years ago. This is a, a mushroom with a chain bottom. You know something? I trusted the guy so much I never did look at it. Oh, so you can't even identify it, really? <clears throat> Very few people could. It being underwater. But anyway, uh, so you paid a fella to to uh, uh, install this mooring for you. Did you get to use it for a while? I did, very short time, and then I sold the boat and uh, asked him to move it, take it out, take it out of the water, bring it to his place, and I'd pick it up. And uh, I would ask, like, every six months, I'd forget about it. I'd come back and say, hey, where's my mooring? And last time I talked to him, he says, well, I don't think it's there anymore. I haven't seen the... I haven't seen the float. Uh, so it, it a, may still be there. He's a lobsterman, and he fishes right in that area. Mm-hmm. Well, I would assume it's uh, most definitely there because uh, here's the principle. It's easier to get a mooring into the water than out. I think yeah, that's, he, has, he has the gear to pull it and move it, so that's... Yeah. Well, still, it's easier to get one into the water than it is back out uh, onto land. You know, if you do, you bring it up on the tide, let the tide go out, go down grab it up. It is easy to do, but it's a lot of trouble, I guess would be my point. And uh, unless there was a compelling reason for somebody to pull one, well, it's not likely that it's been moved out of the water. 
it is uh, very possible that the buoy has been dropped and it's sitting there like a uh, lobster trap with no buoy on it, kind of, uh, you know, unloved on the bottom of the ocean. Nobody will hardly ever see that except for the odd scuba diver. seems to me you have an issue with the fellow you, that you hired there and, um, you know, you paid him good money for something. Uh, and you asked him to pull it back out and you were, you know, it's like a service not rendered and now, now you're... Now you're out one mooring. Right. Should, I, uh, you would have had to, I would think, pay him to pull it back out as well. Right, right. Did you do that? Uh, we never got to that point. Yeah, right. Right. Um, I'd go out there at low tide. Where you probably have a fairly good idea where you think it is. I'd go out at low tide with a grappling hook and do a little fishing first just to see maybe even if you can come up with some chain or something to give you an idea if it's really gone or not. Right. It's, uh, in my experience, frustrating to run around the surface with a grappling hook or even uh, sticking your head overboard in a, in a pair of swim goggles or a, a bucket with plexiglass in it. Seen it all. Um, I've even had a lot of trouble finding my own mooring in front of my own house years ago, and uh, you could almost step on it at low tide, and, and that thing would be difficult to find. Um, unless you're scuba uh, equipped, it's, it's a uh, problem to find and identify such a thing. I kind of think it's time for straight talk with the fellow that that did the job for you. You know, have a heart-to-heart, uh, you know, uh, manly, let's lay it all out on the table kind of thing instead of skirt around the bush and, you know, can you talk to this fellow? Oh, yeah. He's pretty slippery, but uh, we can talk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. And, and uh, on a totally unrelated subject, they had a meeting of lobstermen in uh, Ellsworth, I, th- I think it was, a little while ago. And it was in the fisheries newspaper, and, and uh, they're asking the lobstermen for data, okay, uh, to enter data into catch computers as they're going. Now, a lot of the lobstermen don't like that because that's giving away their secrets, okay? And one of the guys said, if you think there's a lobsterman in this, in this meeting that will tell you what they actually do and what they actually make, he says, you're tripping. Mm-hmm. And uh, Slippery, uh, you know, by design, I guess, lobstermen can be not talking about your fella or impugning them all, but... You know, there's, uh, there's a lot unsaid, and uh, around, uh, not to mention things you can't see underwater are difficult to deal with. Right. Yeah. Um, I don't, you know, besides, uh, like I say, and having a heart-to-heart with the fellow, you're kind of over a barrel because you can't put your finger on it. Um, you know, and, and uh, he is sort of in the driver's seat. At, again, I, I guess you've got to talk real straight to him. That's all I can recommend. And perhaps hire a diver. <laughs> yeah. Diver, uh, yes, but again, you'd be surprised how much stuff is down there under the water. I yes. think you'd be really surprised. Not to mention the trash that's down there, bottles and such, but there, again, there's uh, abandoned moorings and uh, there's a lot of junk down there. So whose junk is that? Uh, is it all silted in after five years? I mean, it might not look like what it looked like when it went in. Um, you know, the identification, and as I said, it's... Very hard to put things on, finger on things underwater, and moorings. Even at the best of time, I used to used to ice up in front of my house, and I used to uh, drop it on a short buoy that would be under 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 the water most of the time. Then I could uh, hopefully hook it well. Well, sometimes that would work, sometimes it wouldn't. It's uh, you know, and uh, inevitably I'd end up swimming out there without wanting to. I almost drowned myself one time trying to find my mooring. I borrowed some scuba deer, gear, and it wasn't working right, and. Until I remember to stand up, I almost died. Boy. You know? So, again, it can be a tricky subject. Exactly. Hey, I appreciate your time. Well, sorry we weren't really more help, but 
Good Best luck. of luck to you. Yeah. Thank you. One eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. This is a good morning for a call. Had a similar question years ago. A guy, I think it was down in the end of MDI area. He liked to go walk on the beach, and somebody was dumping lobster bait down there. And what do you do about that? He says, mm. "You know, I know who. I think I know who's doing this. It's a small town. Lobster bait's a precious commodity. It's no mystery. And uh, you know, how do you talk to people and get that straightened out? If uh, you know, like, say, you're having." Different understandings, should we say, with uh, you know an issue around the water with the people that work there. It's an interesting, tricky subject. Well, it's uh, part of a progress on the on the main coast. You know, more than many many years ago, the lobstermen were pretty much the primary users of of the coast, and they sort of thought they had the right to dump whatever they wanted to over there. They looked at it as biodegradable. What's the problem? And uh, now it's uh, it's not quite so uh, so acceptable. And out of sight, out of mind in the water. Another one of my little favorite stories. Remember when they had the AES coal-fired plant uh, proposed for Bucksport here? And there was a bunch of uh, people that were excited about the economic promise and others that were very excited about all the coal mm-hmm. uh, smoke going into the air and wanted to stop that. So um, it was interesting uh, who showed up to say what. There was an old local fellow who uh, showed up at one of these meetings, and he says, you know, for years I drove across that Verona Bridge, and that's where I used to throw my trash out. He says, I never thought anything bad about that. He says, but after listening to all this stuff, he says, I'm sorry. All that stuff I threw in the water, I'll never do that. I wish I'd never done that. Hmm. And uh, But at the time, out of sight, out of mind, great solution, throw it off the bridge. Right. Underwater, gone. One eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. Here's a nice little news item. Uh, speaking of gone, uh, mom was missing a couple of kids in Gardner, and a big search ensued. And and the kids apparently, a uh, little Dylan, an eleven year old boy, liked to wander. And in this case, uh, he took his sister Madison. They got in a boat at the town landing and and uh, untied it and. <laughs> Went for a float. They were found, uh, <laughs> they, they left around 6.30 in the morning, around 11.30 in the morning. They were found uh, quite a ways down the Kennebec River. Yeah. Happily having a boat adventure. Boy, good thing it was a uh, fairly decent day. <clears throat> Guys, they probably wouldn't have done it in the first place if they hadn't. But I always like to say you can't hurt a kid giving them a boat unless, yeah. of course, they uh, drown themselves. And it right. can, can yeah. be, there it, are it issues. Can be it can be dangerous. But it is yes. fun to go boating, that's for sure. But uh, little Dylan there, he probably shouldn't have went yeah. and done that. We have another phone caller. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Hi, uh, guys. This is Wally calling. Hi, Wally. Uh, I had a kind of crazy idea uh, for using, uh, like, 18th century uh, mast and rigging technology or, oh, like, boy. windmill towers. I was wondering if you guys had knew any reference book like that had like you know that would explain the you know the way the masts were uh, attached and like uh, maybe spliced together and. Well, you say you want to use them. What do you want to use them for? For a windmill tower. Oh, oh for I see. A windmill tower. I see. So like, I, I've got a windmill and I've used like a, just a spruce pole, but like the biggest pole I can come up with that I can really handle is like a twenty-five foot pole. And I was thinking, well, gee, those masts, they splice it. You know, I looked at boat models and stuff, and it seems like they splice on a, a top section. Oh, yeah? Yep. Just keep adding on to the top. But the whole thing is held up by a very critical 
a series of shrouds, the stays, the the, the ropes that uh, come down from the top and attach to the boat. Right, right, like guy guy wires. That's what holds everything. Just yeah. like your uh, just like your regular windmill tower or your radio tower, uh, those are your critical piece of of gear. No. Yeah, is that kind of hardware available, like uh, at like a boat place, to, like you know where the guy wires are hooked on? Oh, oh geez, like uh, look at a telephone pole, Wally. You got a big yeah. Old, well, uh, try to get some of that stuff. Sometime. I mean, you know, that's available where people can buy it. But, yeah. Wally, Wally, isn't this uh, pole on, also uh, need to rotate? No, no, no. So your windmill's going to face one direction only? No, it, the windmill has a little uh, gimbal-type thing. that It's a slip ring thing that you don't need to worry about that. No, you just got to get it up there, and, and the higher the better, you know, because that's where the All wind right. is. But I'm thinking of the blades are going to start whacking into the shrouds when it starts you know, rotating oh, around. Oh, yeah, well, you'd have to have the guy wires below where the blades are going to be spinning, yeah. So we're back to the same problem of having an unsupported section. Now, a pole simplifies the construction of the thing over building a, a real wooden tower. For instance, just up the road um, from the radio station here in East Orland, there is a uh, nice little windmill in somebody's yard across from the Acadia Highway Market. Right, right. I've seen it, yeah. Okay, not a, big, not a big tower. It looks like an oil derrick tower. It's built out of wood. And it has four sides and leans, gets narrower at the top. And uh, it would be simpler to have a pole, but that structure does perform an engineering uh, function, you know. Um, so maybe you want to think about building a real tower as opposed to just putting a pole up. Well, like yeah, for sure. I've thought of that. But it just seems like, you know, this, the easy way is to just, like, cut a tree down stick it up there, you know. That is the easy way, except for, like I say, somebody's going to have to go, well, uh, all right, let's let's uh, we assemble this uh, big pole down on the ground. We got the guy wires, just like we're standing a mast up at the boatyard. Everything's already attached up at the top where it's going to be high up in the air. Yep. And you get a crane and you stand it up, or a pair of uh, or a bunch uh, of guys like Iwo Jima. Yeah, or <laughs> or uh, you make yourself a uh, a little tripod, uh, some yeah, shear legs, yeah. and, and a block and tackle. That's how they used to do it in the old days. Or gin pole. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, a man, a man capable crane, man crane sort of thing. I was just wondering if there was a resource like a book of uh, 18th century rigging that, you know, I could look at and just sort of, you know, study the whole problem. Wow. Yeah. Who's, that, who's that author that writes all those really technical books about the... Uh, Patrick O'Brien? Yes, Patrick O'Brien. Well, there's some pretty <laughs> pictures, but uh, I don't think you'd need an 18th century uh, text. Uh, you know, The Rigger's Apprentice, uh, um, Brian Toss's book, mm-hmm. um, the Marlin Spike uh, handbook. Uh, you know, it's awful... Uh, of uh, how to fish a top mast, I believe, and and uh, again, look at a telephone pole. Just a simple loop around the top of the thing, uh, with some kind of shoulder, so it won't won't slide down. And uh, you drive a stake into the ground, and uh, you know, wrap it up to that. Take some tension on it. There's your there's your guy wire. It yeah. really is fairly simple. However, it's kind of the same idea, though. You got to admit, uh, as a you know a mast and the, you know, the shroud, it's the same really same idea. Yes, it is. Uh, they oh, and, and the other thing I was wondering about was the this, this species of uh, tree. Now, they always talk about the king's pine and all that, but I found that spruce is a pretty darn nice uh, pole. Right. Spruce is actually preferred for spars. A uh-huh. uh, little, little bit more rot-resistant than pine, a little stronger. Shorter, but, tougher fiber. I love spruce. Yeah. My favorite yeah it'll, it'll, you'll get more length per diameter also. Pine will be thicker. Yeah, yeah. But you got to get a good piece, and again, it all depends on uh, the rigging that holds it up. And, and uh, on a sailboat failure, uh, raw, let's take raw faith, for instance. 
they're chugging merrily across the Gulf of Maine yet again, trying to escape. And, uh, you know, one piece of rigging goes, down comes the foremast. The foremast is uh, swaying in the balance, down comes the mainmast. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's all connected, you know, and one piece will imperil the rest of it. So uh, solid, I think, would be the word for your your uh, windmill rigging. And again, I'd, I'd uh, think about having a tower instead of a pole, personally, but... Well, you got the money to spend on a tower. No, dear, I don't. But, uh, again, I I can see making one on the ground for, you know, you make each section uh, one-sided. Spruce pars. Nail them together, uh, tip it up, off you go. Well, I kind of like the idea of it being organic, too, you know. Mm -hmm. You could climb a... a, uh, I actually helped build a... uh, I built the the WHOM radio tower on the top of Mount Washington years ago when I was in college, and it was one of my jobs to climb up on top of the thing and uh, grab the next section when it was swung over. And um, Like, say, a tower without support, trust me, they're uh, wiggly. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thanks a lot. I'm just curious. So. Well, thanks for the help. Yeah, good luck. Right. Good luck with that. And uh, here's something I wondered a long time ago. Why couldn't you run a small house like a boat um, from an energy point of view? A uh, little, little uh, wind generator. Uh, a couple of solar cells. Um, if you manage on a boat, of course, you know exactly what your electrical liabilities are. In a house, they're, they're a little bit more nebulous. Mm-hmm. Is the VCR on or off when it's off, just for instance? Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. On a boat, uh, you know, you, you uh, finally calculate a load and, and you uh, figure it out and you recharge the engine every once in a while, get the batteries back up. And, uh, you know, I, I guess you could run a small house like that. I thought of that years ago. Well, one thing that comes to my mind is the furnace when in a house it having ample power usually to it 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 turns off completely when it's off and then when it wants to come back on again it'll turn itself on again and that startup takes quite a bit of energy and boat heaters actually don't really turn off unless you completely turn them off they do they switch from high to low so the motor is running most all the time so you're actually when it needs to start back up again it, it it'll uh, It'll consume less energy overall. So, you know, it's, it's more than just having a, having a, a wind source and a, summer, uh, and a sun source. You need efficient motors, too. But yeah, and that's, you unfortunately can't charge your batteries by running your furnace. So there we'd have the solution right there now, wouldn't we? <laughs> yeah. We Phone, have a, phone's ringing again, yeah, isn't it? And let's give the number one, 866-625-9378. Just solved the world's energy problems, didn't we? Yeah, good morning. <laughs> Welcome to Boat Talk. Hey there, this is uh, Steve up in uh, MDI. Hi, Steve. Um, that guy was looking for a resource for uh, rigging. Oh, good. Uh, the Young Sea Officer's Sheet Anchor. Um, it's a really old book. The um, Young Sea Officer's Sheet Anchor. Yeah. Excellent. And I got mine from Lee Valley. Is this a uh, Royal Navy thing? Yep. It's yeah. a, a sheet anchor. Sounds like it, doesn't it? Yeah, it's the uh, original, it says right here in the uh, book, uh, the original 1808 version uh, by Darcy Lever. And uh, it's a great book. It's got, uh, you know, everything from, you know, it's just talk about gin poles and ringing and everything. Oh, so, mills. Lots but, of pictures. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, good. Pictures are very helpful. Yeah. How would you hang a um, wind generator up in midair, Steve? <laughs> off the mast of my boat. That's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> are we going to park the uh, boat in the in the front yard permanently? or? Oh, no, I'll sail down to the Caribbean. Oh, someday. I see, I see. <laughs> So how do you deal with the uh, the propeller clearing all the shrouds when it rotates around? Well, like you were saying, just, you know, shrouds just stop just below the, the, yeah. the motor. Right. Well, below the, pl- the, the, uh, yeah, the propeller. blades. Yeah. 
Okay. Well, but anyway, there you go. That was a um, an idea. Yeah, that's why it's community radio here. And the great thing about Boat Talk, we just play the experts and come around to facilitate the thing. And uh, thanks for being there, Steve. Yeah, all right, you. guys. Take it easy. Yeah, yep. Steve, uh, sort of a usual suspect, but we, you know, that's all right. Yeah. 1 866 625 9378 is the number here. If you would like to become a usual suspect, it's not very hard. Good morning. Welcome Good morning. to Boat Talk. Good morning. I don't want to make this into windmill talk. Uh, well, we've got a lot of fans going today. That's a, a strongly recommended source is Michael Hackelman's uh, The Home-Built Wind-Generated Electricity Handbook. He gives you lots of uh, uh, drawings of the design of uh, towers for windmills and some of the problems involved. Ah, uh, lofty subject. You know, when, when your blade starts turning, once it starts turning, that's like a solid piece of sail up there at the very top of the tower. There's a tremendous... Uh, even a four-leg or a three-leg tower, tripod type of tower, it'll actually lift it out of the ground unless you have like a mushroom-shaped uh, concrete on each leg. Excellent. There's, <laughs> there's a tremendous amount of uh, torque on there, and also when the wind shifts around, that torque is, of course, not steady. It's one right, on one side yes. and then the other. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. Now, okay. uh, you know, this could very well be windmill talk, and on the uh, fourth Friday of the month, Dave Evans does Renewable Radio. Ah, very good. Uh, every Friday we give a plug for the people first, who... First Friday. First month. Friday. First, fourth. This is the second Tuesday. How can we... Po- <laughs> do you ever wake up on a Tuesday morning, Alan, and go, oh, my God, is it that Tuesday? I do every once in a while. Second Tuesday is when we would do Boat Talk. First Friday, Dave Evans, Renewable Radio, uh, the same time slot. We do discuss all these things. We'll have to call him up and ask him about windmills. Yeah. What else we got going here? There was a boat that uh, just sank uh, just last month, a fishing boat out of Tenants Harbor, a small ground fish dragger. And um, I got a little bit of the inside story on this. I know people, I guess you'd say, in the life raft community, and life raft did come into play in this, and I, I got a little bit of the story. These uh, fellows were fishing out of Tenants Harbor. They were um, uh, two of them on the boat, and uh, the uh, fellow who owned the boat was said to be a highliner and very fussy about the maintenance of his boat, not an old rusty bucket. There's not very many people out ground fishing in the Gulf of Maine nowadays. It's a pretty small, uh, down to a pretty small select few. And uh, so anyway, this fellow knew what, it, knew what they were doing. And uh, they were 90 miles southeast of Portland, and uh, calm seas, unlimited visibility, and the thing went down. Uh, probably the drag, drag hung up on the bottom. Mm-hmm. When that happens, you're going to hear a big crashing noise. You come to a very And you come fast to a very halt. abrupt halt. And uh, the back of the boat's going to want to go underwater. And, uh, boy, things are flying, including people, and it's not a good time, okay? Um, it said that the crewman, now uh, there were two people on the boat, one survived, one died. The crewman uh, was said to have an inflatable life vest uh, on all the time, but he was found without it, dead. The next day, picked up by another fishing boat, the captain. Um, he did survive. Now, he spent what was described as a very long time in the water before he was able to get into the life raft. Now, there is a life raft on the vessel, and it's on the top of the pilot house. Okay, it's up above the steering wheel uh, on the roof, so to speak, uh, above where the boys are working. And uh, that will release hydrostatically. If the boat sinks far enough, the canister will release itself and it will bob up to the surface. Um, That is, of all the ways to deploy a life raft, that is your least preferable way because 
the boat has to disappear and go away for a while. Um, and then the thing's going to pop up. Where? Yeah. Um, where are you? Um, so anyway, the guy, the, the uh, life raft dis- uh, deployed hydrostatically. The captain uh, took him a while to get into it, but he did. He was rescued um, soon after that. And, uh, you know, again, let's imagine the boat's going down. When do you deploy the life raft? When do you stop fighting to save your vessel? Okay. Right. When do you give up uh, being a scared man with a bucket to go up on the on the pilot house and release the raft? There's mm-hmm. a uh, and uh, your good fisherman is going to fight for that vessel right till it goes underwater, and uh, in a way you're put in a bad position uh, when you have to wait for the life raft to deploy automatically. And again, one of those fellows lived and one of them didn't. Mm. So. So what did we learn? Well, here's an interesting thing. There's a new bill just went through the uh, legislature last month. And uh, now safety training is mandatory for all apprentice uh, lobstermen. And that is about 1,400 of them. There's apparently 7,000 lobstermen, more or less, on the coast well, of Maine. Well, probably some good decision-making as part of that course, too. So that's probably yeah, a good idea. Yeah, it costs $150 to take it. And uh, it's mandatory nowadays. They put up a, a, a scholarship for people who maybe can't afford it. And again, um, you know, good fishermen uh, may think that they have all the gear, but while you're concentrating on saving your boat, which is sinking, you may not be concentrating on saving yourself. There's a story right here of a muscle dragger, completely uh, geared up, and three people drowned. Mm, yeah. You know, they had all the gear. They did not know how to, how to uh, you know, use it. Yep. We have another phone call. Good. So let's go to that. <laughs> <laughs> good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Uh, good morning. Um, a couple of years ago, I got a great suggestion for a book to give for Christmas. It was The Great Grain Race. Um, I was looking for another suggestion for uh, a gift this year. Oh, good. We can handle this. The Great yeah. Grain Race, that's uh, oh, uh, Eric Newby, isn't it? Uh, I can't remember. Yeah. I didn't read it. Eric, <laughs> Eric, <laughs> Eric Newby, is a, he's a, a British travel writer, and uh, early on in his life, he uh, got himself to Australia and sailed a, uh, one of the last... Uh, square riggers, uh, a grain carrier from Australia around to England, around mm. Cape Horn, and, and that's a wonderful book. Um, on a very similar subject, here's a tremendous book for you. Uh, we've been meaning to mention this for a couple months now. Charles Davis, he was a uh, young man in the 1890s or so, and he signed on for Sea Voyage and uh, went around Cape Horn and huh? wrote of his account, which is called uh, Around Cape Horn by Charles Davis. And this is um, edited and put together by our friend Captain Neil Parker of the uh, schooner Weedamine. And he writes the introduction and, and puts the whole thing in context. Wonderful story. Extraordinarily well-written, uh, very interesting. He didn't have uh, some of the stereotypical um, Eric Newby. Uh, a big part of his book is, oh, my God, I always dreamed about going up the mast, and now I have to go up the mast. and uh, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, this guy, he didn't care about going up the mast, or he, he uh, had one problem, but, you know, uh, it, w- it was a slightly different uh, take than the uh, sailor with no skills goes around Cape Horn story, and I thought it was extraordinarily well done. What's the name of it again? It is called Around Cape Horn, uh, Charles Davis. And is this book going to be easy to get? I know I Yes, it's brand, it. brand new. Oh, it's brand new. Brand new. I got mine at the Ellsworth Library. Um, could I recommend another one uh, at the same time, which came up with uh, some other people uh, just recently? Um, oh, um, uh, William Bunting lives down in the Jefferson, uh, Washington area. He's written uh, a couple of uh, great P. 
picture books. They're history books with wonderful captions, page-long captions. There's a, a two-volume series called The Day's Work, people um, working around Maine and Maine people working around the world. That's just excellent. But he is, uh, his latest one is called Seastruck, and it's a story of uh, two or three uh, upper-class young men at the end of the 1890s who decided to, uh, you know, I always dreamed about sailing around Cape Horn before I'm going to settle down and get married, mother, and you must let me, you know. And mm-hmm. uh, off they go, and they kept diaries, and it's uh, their diaries, uh, Bill's interpretation, and a lot of pictures, and boy, that's a good book. Seastruck, Bill okay. Bunting. Yeah, either one and, of those. And where can I get a book talk calendar? Boat Talk Calendar, yes. Boat Talk, yeah. <laughs> Excellent question. Book Talk, it, it could be that sometimes. <laughs> yeah, that's a good little pun. Uh, we have a website, uh, uh, boattalk.org, and also... Uh, I'm going to leave. i got uh, a few that I'm going to bring in on Thursday. I'm going to leave some here at the station, and uh, I'll let the people at the station sell those, and the, the uh, proceeds from that will go to support the station so if you can stop by or maybe just give them a call maybe they'll for a small fee will they'll they'll mail you one okay great yep. I'm, I'm on my cell and i'm losing you so thank you very much well thank you for calling all right good morning and uh yes we're about uh, halfway or a little bit past the halfway point of boat talk this morning it's been fairly easy uh have nothing to talk about so far and we can keep this up for another 25 minutes yeah don't test That's, us give us a call 1-866-625-9378 so um, anyway let's let's talk about the boat talk calendar the first page is your snowboat if yeah you can see the picture it looks kind of like a uh, a giant snowshoe with a with a that's well put. Yes, it's a ring frame with a scallop net hung in the middle of it. A scallop net. A scallop <laughs> net, yes. A scallop drag net. Uh, that's what it sit on. It has a uh, tiller. It's front steering. steering. It has uh, three pairs of skis. Uh, just like a regular ice boat has a cross plank in the back, um, an arched cross plank called the runner plank. Um, that has two pairs of skis on it. The skis are tipped up on edge, so the, the edges will cut a little bit and to uh, give you a little lateral resistance. And the front pair of skis, your skiing, your uh, steering skis, they're both tipped outboard, so they're, uh, they're running a little bit on their outer edges, and that gives you a little cutting ability when you, when you hmm. uh, turn the thing. I now have two snowboats. I have the one snowboat in two pieces, and my <laughs> it's in the yard, and I keep looking at it going, how can I glue that back together? Oh, I missed that thing. So anyway, broke it the uh, winter before last, I guess. It's been two winters, and that's shameful. But you got to tell me, it's, it's going to take some pretty ideal conditions to make this thing go. I mean, it does. Like it it, um, it will sail across the snowy field much faster than a, like a sailing dinghy, for instance, but not as fast as an ice boat. There's mm-hmm. a lot more friction problem mm-hmm. involved with getting three pairs of skis going or getting uh, three skates going on ice. But it will go. It needs to be light. Um, my problem was I built it a little bit too light. And when you go into the wind, uh, there is a high loading factor on a mast. There's a big down po- force. And uh, so then I added a box uh, hollow keel to the thing afterwards, and that stiffened it up quite a bit. And what happened to me the other winter was I went up to uh, Beach Hill Pond, and, uh, boy, it was gusting. It was blowing in the 20s and probably gusting into the low 40s. 
And it was not a good day for such a ride, but there I was and kind of determined. So I set the thing up, and I looked it over, and I got in it. There's a bunch of ice fishermen and snowmobilers there at the boat landing, and they watched me go out. Now, as I'm headed out onto the pond, I noticed this. It looked like a snowbank, and I'm trying to figure this out. What had happened is somebody was plowing the pond with their truck for, to get out to ice fishing traps, uh. and they'd plowed like a perimeter around. So you go out a quarter or a half a mile, and there is a snowbank facing you, an ice bank. And if you're coming out there in your snowboat uh, in, 20, in gusty winds and going way faster than you want to, and you see the snowbank coming, man, that scared me. <laughs> and I got her turned around and, and uh, you know, just come up against it but avoided catastrophe. Didn't I sailed it. it back to the landing, and uh, I, was, I was nerved up. I was shaken, okay? I was real nerved up, <laughs> which is really good <laughs> fun. fun if, now. Huh? Yeah, if you're not hurt, nothing's broken. It's really good fun, you know? So anyway, I'm all nerved up. I'm sitting at the land, land and these guys are watching me going, what the heck's he doing? So I thought, I'll show him. I'll try it again. And I'm sitting at the land, and now, again, there's a tension, uh, surface tension problem, getting the skis broken free the first time. And I'm sitting there on the boat. The wind is uh, gusting into the sail. I'm pulling in on the sheet, but I'm not moving. And in an ice boat, even, sometimes you'll want to just jounce up and down a little bit to break it free mm-hmm. or push off with a, you know, an ice pick or something. So I'm, I'm jouncing up and down on the seat trying to, you know, as the wind blows, I'll be in midair, and the boat will be lighter, and we'll, off we'll go, right? Well, a gust hit the boat probably a a 40-knot gust, and the sail loaded up tremendously. The boat bent in half and, without moving an inch, broke in half. Mm. I was sitting dead still, and, again, it it folded in half like a piece of paper and uh, cracked, and there I was. uh, I was sitting on the boat. Now I'm sitting in the snow, and I thought, okay, I can laugh or cry, and I ended up laughing. And everybody come running over, you okay? What happened? You yeah. know, <laughs> what's supposed to do that? <laughs> wasn't going that fast, so I didn't get very hurt. So, and broke it right in half when the uh, wind came out and loaded the sail. And again, um, while the boat was moving, the sail would, would uh, sag off to leeward and absorb some of that, um, the force, mm-hmm. okay? But the boat sitting still, all that energy went into breaking the boat in half. So now I have two sections. Now, this design. Um, came from a picture in Wooden Boat Magazine. I believe it was a winter 2001 or maybe it was 99 edition. I'm not sure. But in a winter edition of uh, um, Wooden Boat in the launching sections, there was a, a fellow from Quebec, Gerard uh, uh, Levy, I think his name is, and, and he designed this thing. Comatic, he calls it. And I believe you can search that on the web. K-O-M-I-T-I-K, I believe, Comatic. And uh, I called him up trying to speak to him about it, but he does not speak English, and uh, that conversation didn't go so well. And well, I got I got to get another one going. It is just too funny to sail across a field in the middle of the winter. Yeah. So, but I I don't know anybody else that has one, and now I don't have one either. So, no. there's the snowboat story for uh, that's January's. Uh, Poster girl here in the Boat Talk calendar, and underneath it is a picture of Scheherazade uh, at her launching down to the, the uh, Hodgson Brothers shipyard a few, a few years ago. Um, Scheherazade is a mega yacht out of Somme Sound, uh, rarely been in Somme Sound. It's had sort of a checkered career sailing around the world, and, uh, you know, we don't get to hear of that every once in a while because our friends have been fired from the crew. Mm-hmm. So, anyway. We've lost contact. Yeah, and there's uh, the Boat Talk calendar. Uh, you know, Alan has chosen a number of pictures here, and there's more ice boating. There's some uh, stormy uh, 
weather sailing here. There's dinghies. There's uh, some boat building pictures. Uh, you just got to see it to appreciate it. Yep. And we will, on, the, on our website, be posting stories relevant to each month as they come, too, so you can get a little feedback that way. But we have another phone call. Let's go to that. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Hi. Uh, my name is Mark. I'm calling from Surrey. Hi, Mark. Uh, this is about a, uh, a little skiff, maybe maybe 10, 11 feet long, built sometime before the 40s. little abstract, flat bottom, uh, 20 front, flat, flat back uh, skiff. That's, that rose like a dream, and uh, and I've been trying to kind of fix it up. I was thinking of uh, double planking the bottom, putting a layer of uh, three eighth inch cedar on it, right over the old bottom boards. Uh, and I was thinking of bedding it in roofing tar, to say the truth, and and just making sure that my seams overlap the existing seams. And uh, just plank it crossways like it was before. And so, that's all in an effort to make it not leak. Yeah, make it not leak. Uh, the bottom is uh, been well used. It's you know sixty years old probably. Yeah. And, uh, is that a good plan? It's possible. I wouldn't use roofing tar. What um, would you use? Well, I'd use uh, I'd uh, I'd uh, steal a. Uh, we talked about this last month on Boat Talk. Uh, there are some uh, polyurethane caulks at the building supply store now that are really excellent in their adhesion and their stretchability, and they are formulated basically a, a polyurethane, so the same as your Sikaflex or your, uh, what do they call that stuff, 5200. 5200. Uh, Life caulk, for instance, those are all polyurethanes, and they... Well, Life caulk's a polysulfide. Polysulfide, you yeah. are correct, sir. That's why it smells worse. Yeah. Yes, and... Uh, so anyway, uh, you can buy these at at the building supply store nowadays. Uh, PL. Um, yeah, you, you you buy. Uh, you, God, how many? It would take me a zillion tubes to do the whole bottom of that thing. Or do you do you like smear the whole bottom? You just bed bed I'd it. Use in a it? slotted trowel, so you're not really, you know, you're putting on fifty percent coverage more or less. Right. But yes, I, it's like putting down linoleum tile. I think is basically doesn't a have analogy. to be everywhere. It just has to be around the edges and not let stuff under yeah. the middle. Basically, now one um, one concern I would have with that though too is I'll bet you some of your leak is happening where your sides are meeting the bottom. So yeah, putting, that's what I was that's what I was going to ask you. So I have to uh, I figured I'd uh, recalk that seam and make sure that the uh, yeah the, from the existing side right. Or maybe even put a uh, thin piece over it and bed it the same way. That would be better. Yeah. That would be better. Also provides chafe resistance when you drag it ashore and stuff. Uh, I don't mean to tease you, but, of course, we could fiberglass this about an inch thick on the outside. That would fix it, too, you know. Yeah, it would fix it for a little while. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, polyurethane caulks you can buy at the, uh, at the building supply store, they say right on them, not for use below the waterline. However, I believe we could ignore that. Right. Um, they are uh, about five dollars a tube, as opposed to your Sikaflex, which is more like what twelve or fifteen yeah. or so. Um, which is why I find them uh, very affordable. I've, uh, uh, so, what's the brand name? Uh, PL makes them. Uh, uh, is it like PL five thousand? Is one of those? Yeah, exactly. And again, okay. it will say polyurethane on it. Uh, there are a couple of different uh, brands. Um, uh, DAP also right. makes uh, some poly, and they'll say polyurethane right on them. 
Yeah. They make a compound for uh, roofing. They make a roofing tar substitute. Comes in black. They make a masonry substitute. Comes in gray. And they make a door and window sealant. Comes in white. And I recommend all those things. They're, uh, I, I had heard that uh, roofing tar or roofing tar mixed with bedding compound might, uh, might be the deal. But you're saying no, right? It's not adhesive. It's not elastic. And right away, we have it all beat on the, uh, um, again, they make a roofing tar substitute out of the polyurethane. And I use that on roofs and uh, caulking all the time. And, uh, again, it's it's not only adherent, it's elastic. And you can't say that about roofing tar. Well, that's what I'll get. Uh, and then I'll just uh, put, like, a little uh, shine strip on, I guess, on the outside. Yeah, Exactly. I'd go as light as I could on those bottom planks. You're going to be adding weight to the boat, of course. And, uh, yeah. you know, um, of course, you could. The original design, I suppose those were just beveled uh, seams and caulked, and that, that does work. But if they're 60 years old, they might not be. I looked at fixing up an old dory recently myself, and I was just going to cut the bottom out and put another one in. Yeah, I thought of that. It seems gentler. Not a bad idea. As a I mean, I'm not yeah. sure if I try and pull the planks off. What's going to happen to the, you know, what's going to happen with the fittings where I might pull it apart? You know? That's the first thing besides I thought. That, besides that, it's holding the shape of the boat together. Yeah. Yeah, best of luck to you. I'd go right to the building supply store and cheap out on some of that stuff. If it's, again, you're not sailing around the world and your life is not depending on it some night in the Southern Ocean, I bet you'll be fine under the waterline. Okay. Uh, well, good. I mean, mostly it's just because I know the people that had the boat and they liked it and I just want to keep it going. Okay. And again, we talked about the choices of materials last month. Um, I actually laminated a cockpit combing for a kayak out of very nice mahogany veneer that I got from my friend Alan Sprague when he moved. And I wanted to get it out of his barn. Remember that nice pile of mahogany, oh, yeah. mahogany veneer? Okay, well, I, um, there I was wanting to fix up my old kayak all of a sudden. And I thought I can slam a, a cockpit uh rim together but I don't I didn't have enough epoxy so I used the PL polyurethane construction adhesive to laminate that cockpit combing and it turned out dandy it's out in the snow right now and I've got the uh, cutoff strips uh, hanging outside on the on the picket fence for see test. yeah <laughs> to see when they delaminate and so mm-hmm. far so good you know and and uh, again was that a bad material choice should I have done something that I, I should have spent another dollar or a few minutes on that would have lasted longer, perhaps. But to me, it was an interesting experiment. So we'll see. We'll let you know how long that lasts. I wish I had had this stuff when I was using resorcinols. That bloody stuff. Yeah. Resorcinol is a great glue, but again, it doesn't it doesn't uh, fill gaps. It's not stretchy. Uh, it's pretty you know. brittle, actually. Yeah. Um, all materials have their have their short points, and again, you could uh, um, epoxy those planks onto the bottom. That would be another way to go. But uh, I'd I'd go right uh, to like, cheap I stuff. Like, yeah, that's what I like. Okay. Yeah. Well, appreciate the thought. Thanks a lot. Call us. Uh, call us with an update this spring. Let us know <laughs> how it goes. Okay. Thank you. For yeah. cheaping out on my kayak, there the worst thing I did was I had two pieces of of uh, light plywood to redo the deck. One was uh, a sapeel and uh, like a kayak worthy piece of uh, plywood that somebody had given me, mm-hmm. real thin door skin uh, uh, thickness. And the other one was a piece of eighth inch Luon. And I used both of them, and the Luon has already started to bubble uh, and delaminate. Yeah. Talk about spending money. I didn't even splash any paint on it. I just slammed that thing together. I didn't even trim the overhang on the shear. Um, I just went kayaking. So, yeah, that's why people tune in to Boat Talk is for all this quality 
<laughs> well, again, talk. and we were going to build the whole show around that last month, but we got talking about other things. Yeah, the uh, you know what decisions do you make to slam something together? Raw Faith being an example. Now they put uh, thousands and thousands of hours of labor into that, and uh, you know the question is, did they spend their labor in in the best possible way? Some people wonder. Materials, Same huh? with me and my kayak. Now I'm a boat builder. I can. You know, for me to laminate a cockpit combing is not a big deal. I've got yeah. the little whirly, I got the little jigs. I, you know, well, you're not going offshore in your in your kayak. Well, either. but again, I, you know, in a, given an hour and a couple pieces of wood and some glue, I can I can clamp up a, a combing. That's nothing to me. Yeah. Um, whereas to other people, that would be the job of a lifetime. So, for me to make one and watch it fail, that's not that big a deal. On the other hand, who wants to be fixing the kayak all the time? Yeah. You know, I want right. to go paddling. Well. We have a phone call we'd like Thank to talk Thank goodness, once again. one 625 9378 Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Oh, man, there I was calling on the, my own dime, and you guys run along about kayaks. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, this is Nick in Wilderboro. Hi, Nick. Nick. And uh, you, you uh, mentioned a website, and I, I was listening. While I was listening to you, I got on, on the computer, and Search for boat talk dot org, but nothing came up. How do you spell that? Wow, I've got it all the time. Uh, I mean, I, I spelled it with two T's. Yes, you know. that's right. One word, two T's dot org. This is one thing we learned about websites. If you have to spell it to people, that's not good. Just what it sounds Wait like. Boat talk. While we're on the air, I will do it again. We do spell it. Dot org. A T T A L K. Yeah, it is a wee bit slow and. Yeah, and we have not um, we have not entered. Uh, matter of fact, we just had a meeting with the webmaster last night, and uh, we found out how we can enter things into our own website, which is going to be huge because we need well, to do that. All so. I'm coming up with is that who is you know the where you register for your for your website name, but yep. nothing nothing is coming up at all. You can't get a home page. You're saying no, it's not coming up. So oh. I thought I'd let you know about that. Oh, Thanks for that. Well. There's some tremendously bad advertising right on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. There goes our entire It's crowd. a great thing, but it don't work. <laughs> We're, gonna... We're really proud of it. <laughs> yeah. No, thanks for that, Nick. We'll figure it out. Okay, good night. Yeah, boattalk.org, uh, as I say, uh, slow at the present time, but and, and we haven't really started to exploit it yet. Um, I'm, I think I was uh, just, I think I now have two computers, but I don't have a working computer yet, so uh, we're working on it. And uh, BoatTalk.org, and BoatTalk is also archived on the WERU website, WERU.org, and uh, there are old programs there you can listen to. we got about another 10 minutes left in Boat Talk this morning, uh, 1-866-625-9378. We always need to thank Amy for engineering she just answers the phone when it rings and points at us. And, uh, you know, we, we get around to talking about uh, boat schools, especially high school level uh, boat building schools. Front page of the Bangor Daily News today, by some fortunate coincidence, is uh, Washington Academy down in East Machias. And they have a boat building program down there. And uh, it's said here they have 40 boats under, under uh, construction from a 35 foot lobster boat, which is being repaired to uh, dinghies and canoes and kayaks and such. Sounds like my old barn. <laughs> yeah, and uh, a good percentage of the kids in this program are fishermen and work uh, on the water. The kid who's fixing up the 35-foot lobster boat, he's going to go lobstering right out of high school on that and earn his living. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, you talk about connecting kids with a, uh, 
you know, a useful skill, boat building, and then tying it into something real like uh, where they live in Washington County, let alone the rec recreational um, part of it. And these kids are uh, very enthusiastic about that. Out of the, uh, what's it say, six people in the, in the um, this is bigger than just the uh, Washington Academy class here. Of the six people from Washington Academy, though, five of them are fishermen. Yeah, and we'll have to give them a the, call and talk with them. Working on their own doing. stuff. We also, have another be, phone call. Before though. we answer the the call, though, also got a tip over the uh, uh, last week or so. Uh, somebody called up and asked if we were paying attention to the kids from Vinyl Haven, the Vinyl Haven uh, technical project where they rebuilt the uh, steel sailboat, and now they've sailed it south. And there are school kids from Vinyl Haven on a trip south on this boat at the present time. And uh, it's terrible of me to mention this. We don't have the website. Maybe somebody can call in, and and but it's out there anyway. Or, so. Yeah, or, or contact us on the W or then the Boat Talk yep. website too. Give us that information. Now let's answer the phone because it's ringing ringing off the yeah, hook right now. We got now. some going. Good, Good morning. morning. Welcome to Boat morning. Talk. Hi there. Uh, my name is Bill. I live out on Cranberry Island. Hi, Bill. I've got a a question for you. I've just put my um, old wooden keelboat on jack stands in the shed. And I wonder if there's any way known to man to move it sideways once it's on jack stands. Sideways? Jack stands. Sideways. I'd love to move it um, about three feet uh, to the north, so I've got room for another boat next to it. Oh, can. good Ooh, Lord. Boy. Isn't that a pain? And the, <laughs> the, the hydraulic trailer can only get it as close as it got. So oh, yeah. Okay. Well, and then if you move it three feet sideways, you're going to have to move it three feet back to get the trailer back under yeah. it, too. I think yeah, well, that, it's a long winter. So. The only way you could be able to do it is to jack it up enough so that you can sort of put a cradle under it, that you could yeah. put some yeah. rollers under the cradle. Yeah. That's I, exactly I, what I was thinking. The other thing that came to me was a sling, maybe from the, uh, you know, sling it off of mm -hmm. the uh, rafters, perhaps, if that's even possible, and, and uh, you know, sling yeah. it and push it over. No, these are, these are the, 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 those are the general approaches that I thought. I thought there might be something that I was missing. Yeah, and uh, to Moving get a cradle shed. under it is a bit of a pain, honestly, because the cradle yeah. occupies the place where the jack stands need to be. Right. And then mm -hmm. to push it sideways, we used to uh, use these little things, we called them tanks. Yeah. They're uh, yeah. Uh, ro not wheel rollers, but roller rollers. I'm and, familiar uh, with those, yeah. Yeah, but they don't like to be on a dirt floor. You need a hard floor as well. well I have the hard floor. The only thing I don't have is a way to get underneath it, you know. It's, yeah. It's um, 7,000 pounds worth of boat. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it probably is where it is. But <laughs> I'd I consider thought, covering the other one outside myself. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it could be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Bill. We hate to put you down so quick, but apparently there's That's four right. people waiting on the phone, so I didn't even well, know we had well, that many lines. And we got about five minutes, so it's okay. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Hey, Mike. Good morning. Hello. Who are we speaking to? This is Andy Mays in Southwest Harbor. Hi, Andy. Andy. I want you to play Christabel. Oh, that's another show. <laughs> right. We got hey, a diving uh, job for you, though, Andy. Oh, all right. I'll take it. I, uh, I've, I've been in the water. The water's still nice, so I'm still happy to do it. I've got, first of all, I want to say hi to Bill and Barbara out in Cranberry. I was thinking about him yesterday for some reason, and uh, good luck, Bill. And um, the other thing is, have you guys heard of a blow cart? It's no. New Zealand. No. Go to blowcart.com, B-L-O-K-A-R-T. I have one. It's, you can actually use it on land. It's got wheels. And that's a really sharp little rig, and uh, I'm going back to New Zealand in February, and I'm going to pick up a pair of skates for it. An ice boat um, on wheels. Well, you take the wheels off, and then you add a little, it's got a little suspension system that bolts, you know, it's just real easy, clip on, clip off, and you, um, but it was really, it was rigged up for, 
for on land, and they were sailing them on the beach, along the beaches, and everything. And when I was in New Zealand a couple of years ago, I took one for a trial ride, and you know, I got up around forty miles an hour, and I said, "This is for me." I'm thinking and, the uh, parking lot at the Walmart. <laughs> uh, I was thinking the Home Depot, but you know, you got to go after dark. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but anyways, it's a it's an interesting little thing, and. and uh, I tried to put some. I tried to stud the tires and take it out on Echo Lake, but without, the, I couldn't steer it because there wasn't enough downforce on the front wheel. It, you know, just all that did. I just spun sideways when I tried to turn. I like your um, attitude, though, Andy. <laughs> well, hey, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. Yeah. So, uh, but when I go to New Zealand, I'm going to pick up a pair of skates for it in February, and I'll be back and all right. we'll talk it over. And all again, right. there's no reason why that little sailboat couldn't have wheels, skis, and skates. Yeah, so I was interested with what you you know with what you said about it because I you know, I'm sitting there looking at it, but it's a lot of inertia to get a you know to get 200 pounds plus the weight of the boat over the snow. You know, boy, yes, I'd like it to is. see it happen. You've got to have a lateral resistance when you want to turn the thing, or you will just skid sideways. Yep. All right, I'll let yep. you get on to the next question. All right. Okay. Thank nice you. Yeah, we you. are getting a lot of calls. We'll go go to the next one right now. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Hi, Alan. Mike Calvin. Hi, Mike. Calvin. Quick question. Paint off a dory. It's been there for a few years. What's the best remover? Most people like a heat gun yep. with a sharp putty knife, a sharp scraper. Oh, boy. Um, your chemical. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, you, uh, you'd be surprised how good a heat gun will work. You just yeah. give it a chance to soften up. You've got a uh, nice, sharp scraper. You yeah, can get that thing dead clean. What you want to do is make yourself an extra long handle scraper, though, because you'll find you fingers on the scraper hand get really hot you'll also find your head may get a little dizzy with all the nice paint fumes how long that paint's been on there how much lead is in it for instance be an interesting question the other question is how do you do it without electricity my house is like a boat 12 volt yeah huh um well chemical strippers you know they work but it's not a not a great way to go um, I'm a big fan of grabbing an 8-inch grinder with a soft disc on it. Boy, there's nothing I can't uh, really? take care of with an 8-inch grinder. But, again, we're, we're going electric again. Um, then you're down to a really sharp scraper without the heat gun. That'll work. Okay. That'll work, but it's uh, so much harder. Yeah. Well, I think we're going to have to say goodbye because we're Appreciate right up it. against the wall. Thank you for that phone call, though. BoatTalk.org is functioning, we hear? Yes, we did a quick check. That is working. BoatTalk.org. And again, we'll be uh, adding stuff to that uh, uh, coming up very soon. I'm getting my computer going. Alan just learned how to input the other night, and off we go. So who knows what the future uh, brings. We didn't get through our pile of uh, things we could talk about this morning, but that's just good. Because we talked goes. to a bunch of people, and Boat Talk just uh, flew by again. We can't wait to see what happens next month. And uh, second Tuesday is when this thing happens. Mm-hmm. And stay tuned for Jim Pahoosh coming up next with On the Wing here on Community Radio, WERU-FM, Blue Hill 89.9, 102.9, up to Bangor.